0: You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. It's the most horrible time of the year. With the nights getting longer, the evil is stronger and there's much to fear. It's the most horrible time of the year. It's the unhappiest season of all. When your knuckles are widening from visions so frightening, you must not recall. It's the unhappiest season of all. Cthulhu is calling, and Sadie's falling, and cultists are roaming the land. With the darkness descending, our destiny's bending, to forces we can't understand. It's the most horrible time of the year. There'll be ritual killing, and omens fulfilling, as old ones appear. It's the most horrible time of the year.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back from our, what's it been, a week and a half to hiatus? Almost two Seems week hiatus?
2: Like, yeah, most.
1: God, this has been, this is, the last couple of weeks have been so oh, weird for us just, and in podcast world.
2: Oh, my God. I mean, that, the interview we had with Callie with the roundtable was just, it turned into a train wreck. It was just, uh, audio was horrible. We were just,
1: The good news is (laughs) is some of that stuff is going to make it into the outtakes episode. That interview is probably never going to air because there was just such crazy, weird audio anomalies that we actually recorded a whole episode, which with Callie from ADHD on here. And the Skype connection was absolutely horrible and the audio was unusable for a vast majority of the show. But we did get some really funny parts which are going to make it into the outtakes episode. And then we tried to do another interview with Kenny. And because of something that I think had to do with Skype. He logged on to Skype to do the interview, but it showed that we weren't on. And then I think there were some time discrepancy issues and so forth. Much to say we just didn't do a show last week.
2: <laughs> I got a text message today. Um, Where's our show? I'm like, yeah. I don't know. Maybe you should start yeah. your own.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we do anything, we've got family business we need to take care of and get out of the way. We tried to do this last week, but since the show never aired, we, we couldn't get it out there. But um, a listener of the show whose family of the show and has had a death in the family and uh, she seems to be dealing with it pretty well, but I just want to let her know that you know we're, we're out here, we're thinking about you. Our hearts go out to you. You know, we we hope all is doing well, and we hope that you still manage to have a good holiday season with everything that's happened. Women's got a heart of gold, you know. Yeah. And Heather, we're thinking about you guys. You know, we just just wanted to let you know that. We love you. So uh, that's done. I need to give a shout out to Clinton. Um, there's another show now. They're called the Extreme Society Show, and they're 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 a pretty cool they're they're a different format than we are but they're a paranormal oriented uh, I don't want to call them a podcast I'm not sure if they're a podcast or a radio show I went and checked out their link on on iTunes and they they've got a bunch of shows on there but it seems that their link's a little bit behind so but they're in the uh, Facebook page now and I've told them yeah go ahead you guys can post your episodes and stuff in here and they've been cool and allowed us to post our episodes and we put them up we can go on their page and put I'll you know, put our episodes in their page and. Anytime we can cross-promote with another podcast, we're not, you know, we, we're no strangers to, we're, we're not in competition. So anytime somebody comes along and says, hey, we've got a show, will you help us out? You know, sure. As <laughs> yeah, long right. as you're not jerks. <laughs> That's it. Is that it? Yeah, we're going to try to do a two-hour show tonight or this week. We're going to try to do a two-hour segment because with the holidays coming up, I'm not real sure what our recording schedules are going to look like over the next couple of weeks. We're, we're at 10 days to Christmas and you've got a family and I've got a family, so. 10 days. I think it's 10 days away. No, dude. It
2: it's the 14th. It's 11. Oh, God. <laughs> it just came on. Ah, oh, whatever.
1: It's close enough. By the time this thing hits airtime, Christmas, who knows? Christmas, many-
2: Christmas time is here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I hate chipmunks. Oh, my God. We're singing chipmunks. But, um, yeah, so what I think what we're going to do tonight is we're going to cover – we're gonna do a hodgepodge of everything. We're gonna try to cover some really unusual and strange Christmas customs from around the world. We've got Mick Doyle back on the show from Dublin, Ireland from ECPI, uh, ghost hunting team over in Ireland. He's been on the show before. We had him we have got him back on. Great guy. Heart mm-hmm. of gold. Love love having him on the air. He's he's
2: dude's a champ. I mean, he's he's gonna be up at like the crack of dawn just to talk to us.
1: Yeah, on the other side of the world.
2: Literally. <laughs> he's a champ.
1: I I love the people we've met through this show. I know,
2: dude. Isn't it crazy?
1: I I love the listeners. I love the people we've met. You know, it's just I live for people I
2: care more about on this show and in our fandom than in real life. I care about real life,
1: man. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, let's um let's get the ball rolling here. What what do you've got for us right now? This is this is kind of a for the law story. I, I found it pretty funny, so I'll just let you take it away from here. This is
2: this is good because we were just recently on one of our shows talking about the LHC. So we're going to we're going to read this and it comes from crave.cnet.co.uk. And it's a uh, man arrested at Large Hadron Collider claims he's from the future. A would-be saboteur arrested today at the Large Hadron Collider in Switzerland made the bizarre claim that he was from the future. Eloy Cole, a strangely dressed young man, said that he had traveled back in time to prevent the LHC from destroying the world. Seems like a common thread nowadays.
1: Did you not want to say E. coli when you saw that guy? I know, <laughs> I'm like, no,
2: no, don't do it, don't do it. Although he's full of it, we're not going to call him it. (laughs) The LHC successfully collided particles at record force earlier this week, a milestone Mr. Cole was attempting to disrupt by stopping supplies of Mountain Dew to the experiment's vending machines. (laughs) He also claimed responsibility for the infamous baguette sabotage in November last year. Guy should be working on a food truck. Mr. Cole was seized by Swiss police at CERN. Security guards spotted him rooting around in bins. He explained that he was looking for fuel for his time machine power unit, a device that resembled a kitchen blender. <laughs> Police said Mr. <laughs> Cole, who was wearing a bow tie and rather too much tweed for his age, would not reveal his country of origin. Countries do not exist where I am from. Discovery of the Higgs boson led to limitless power and elimination of poverty and Kit Kats for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It is a communist chocolate hellhole, and I'm here to stop it ever happening. If Kit Kats are in the future, sign me up. <laughs> this isn't the first time traveler has been blamed for mishaps at the LHC. Last year, the Japanese physicist Masio Nimanumi and Danish string theory pioneer Holgen Betch Nielsen put forward the hypothesis that the Higgs boson was so abhorrent that That it somehow caused a ripple in time that prevented its own discovery. Professor Brian Cox, a CERN physicist and full-time rock and roll TV scientist, was sympathetic to Mr. Cole. Bless him. He sounds harmless enough. At least he didn't mention bloody black holes. Mr. Cole was taken to a secure mental health facility in Geneva, but later disappeared from his cell. Police are baffled, but not that bothered.
1: Okay. (laughs) Where do we start? Let's, oh, start, he let's start with the Mountain Dew. <laughs> I don't know, man. Because we all know that if you want to start stop the Higgs boson particle from being found, you need to cut off the supply of Mountain Dew.
2: Oh, absolutely.
1: I'm a little concerned that we're going to be wearing a lot of tweed in the future. I like uh, tweed.
2: <laughs> I don't really care much for the bow tie. But tweed's all right.
1: I'm a little concerned that the Obama administration is leading us to a socialist world of chocolate Kit Kats. Mm. Yet we cannot, for the life of us, still get Chocodiles. Ah, oh, you know. Um, but he did v- vanish from his his cell. I'm kind of curious as to how that all went down. That's the only thing that really baffles me in the story is how the guy. Somebody looked
2: it, the other way and said, "Let this snutter out." Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's just too nuts. Which the now they're now saying that the the Higgs boson particle still has not been found. They don't think no. they're going to find it. I don't know. I'm
2: still. There's there's enough people in the in the camp that say that it will be found. I have faith.
1: I'm not really all that worried about them finding the Higgs boson particle because they're finding all this other cool stuff. They're still getting a wealth of knowledge even though they're not getting what they were intending to get. They're still finding out all kinds of really cool stuff from the large particle accelerator. Mm-hmm. Um, like just now we learned how important the, the necessity of Mountain Dew is Look at in that. the
2: scientific see? realm. Good lord. Let's not forget the baguettes.
1: I, I don't. I personally don't think they're ever going to find the boson particle. I just mm-hmm. don't think they're going to. We'll I think see. I I think it's possibly there, but I don't think that, I think we need larger, you know, I think we need bigger. I think that, I think they're just able to see it, just barely see it, but I don't think they're actually, you know, there's enough there to say, hey, there's something that might be here, but I still don't think we have, I still don't think we're dealing with massive enough size of a particle accelerator or the power necessary to actually find it completely. I
2: don't know, dude, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to make a prediction. I'm going to make a prediction that by February of next year, Someone is going to find the Higgs boson, and it's not going to be a scientist at the Large Hadron Collider. It's going to be some hacker that's paying attention to the LHC app, who's going to end up
1: finding it. That would be cool, wouldn't it? Be neat if, like they did with the the thing where they they presented the disease option, the, the disease thing with to the gamers and said, "Here, figure this out." In yeah. the gaming community and the hacker community, found it. Wouldn't that be dude, neat? They were if folding
2: was, proteins, dude.
1: <laughs> if they put this information out there and put it out to the gamer community and to the hacker community and said here here's our information make of it what you can and just threw it out there and made it open source and said here find out what you can and then you know let it reverberate back into us and see what we can find Mm. and then we would have the next flavor of Mountain Dew yeah dude what would it be?
2: motionly good? (laughs) oh my god
1: I guess we'll uh, start off with our first really off the wall. Ow! I just smacked my head on the microphone. Whoa! That was weird. But anyway, I'll start off with our first really off the wall tradition. You're gonna you're gonna hear some stuff tonight that you guys have probably heard a hundred times. But I wanted to go a little bit deeper and find some really off the wall stuff. And uh, this is one of them. And this is Kiviak. and this comes from foodloris.blogspot.com. I've looked a lot more for this. I haven't been able to find a whole bunch. This this is, if you're (laughs) going to listen to this part, I hope you haven't eaten yet. Kiviak is a traditional Christmas dish from Greenland. I have to say I did not find much info about it. It seems to consist of of whole small ox, auk birds, which are put into a greasy seal skin and buried into the permafrost under a flat stone for seven months, then dug up around Christmas. Then they bite the heads off and squeeze out the tart guts. Let me read that again. Then they bite the heads off, Ali a la Ozzy Osbourne. Did I almost say Ali Free? Anyways. I think you did. <laughs> bite the heads off and squeeze out the tart guts, which are slightly toxic. Mmm, yum. Mm. It does not seem to smell worse than a matured Stilton cheese. Otherwise, it tastes like a matured cheese and very pungent. There is nothing disgusting in this dish, other than the fact of what you're eating. <laughs> I can hear Brent right now going, this sounds like a McRib. <laughs> Throughout food history, foods have been stored that way. Romans and Greeks were used to produ- were used to produce a concentrated flavor liquor called goram or licuormen? Liquimon. Liquamon from, from fish innards and other parts that would be used otherwise by salting them and letting them letting this mixture ferment in the sun for several months until the flesh had fallen apart. Then a liquid was strained. Ooh. Nowadays, Asian fish sauce such as shutsuru, budu, and nampla, playa are still made in a similar way, obviously using more controlled fermentation process. You're up next. Where are we going?
2: We're going to go over to um, spiegel.de. This is uh, Greek goblins run riot over Christmas. Who says Santa Claus is the only one trying to come down your chimney during the festive season? According to Greek mythology, a gaggle of goblin-like spirits are trying to slide into homes, and instead of presents, they are intent on leaving a trail of destruction right up my alley. As the Greeks tell it, it wouldn't be hard to confuse the 12 days of Christmas with the 12 days of hell. (laughs) That's (laughs) if you believe in the Zera. I didn't say that right.
1: I don't think I could either.
2: Kallikantzeroi?
1: I'll agree with that. I'm sure he can't, but anyway,
2: (laughs) (laughs) these mythical goblin like spirits are said to pop up between Christ's birthday and epiphany on January 6th. There it is again. Days. They devote to wreaking their unique brand of havoc. John Tompkinson, the Athens based author of haunted Greece, nymphs, vampires, and other exotica compares their behavior to drunken yobs coming out of a pub and the unflattering description suits their body antics. The Calycteroi cause mischief. They intimidate people, urinate in flower beds, spoil food, tip things over, and break furniture. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Opinions differ on what they look like, both because of active imaginations mm-hmm, and Greece's once isolated region, separated by the Hellenic nations, many mountains, and vast seas. As a result, some say the Calicant, Zeroy, resemble humans with dark complexions, ugly, very tall beings that sport iron clogs. Oof. Others say they are short and swarthy, with red eyes, cleft hooves, monkey arms, and hair-covered bodies. Sounds like my family. These There's another school of thought which describes them as lame, squinting, and stupid. They survive on a diet of worms, frogs, and snakes.
1: Sounds like your family.
2: Indeed. For most of the year, the Calicantzeroi live in the bowels of the earth, but they creep out during the 12 days (laughs) of Christmas, venturing out under the cover of night. The uninvited festive guests are said to sneak into homes through the chimney, or more boldly, by using the front door. And surprise, surprise, Greek families are keen to... Ward off gaggles of goblin louts. Some use a legendary precaution of black-handled knives. Others swear by hanging a lower jaw of a pig behind the front door or inside the chimney. It is the thing to have over Christmas, Tomkinson said. Don't ask me why. (laughs) That's great, dude. When somebody who writes says don't ask me why, that's the best. Hanging a tangled strand of flax on the front door tends to flummox the the dim-witted Calacanseroy who pause and count the threads, a lengthy task which keeps them busy until sunrise. Fire is another deterrent, like, much like everything else. <laughs> Many households maintain a crackling blaze in the hearth throughout the holidays. The smoke is said to keep the pesky calicantzeroy out of the chimney. On Christmas Eve, the household patriarch tosses a big log into the, from a thorny tree, such as a prickly pear or wild cherry, onto the blaze. This Christmas log is known as the... Sh- Sharkanzolis from Calicanseroy. Wow, man. You had to give me this one, right? Oh yeah. Sometimes the old an old shoe is burned, the stench of seared leather augmenting the fire's repellent effect. A handful of salt. There it is again. Which gets things crackling is also said to scare off the beasts. And Greeks born on Christmas Day are at special risk. <laughs> They can be construed, construed as trying to upstage Christ, and the child can turn into a Calicanseroy, unless the mother binds her newborn with garlic. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. God. <laughs> Christmas Day is awful, also a big day for fires. Greek toss wheat grains and other green leaves from the olive tree and walnut tree onto the hearth. The way they catch on fire predicts whether a person will survive the coming year or whether the person will leave his or her village.
1: God, Christmas sounds horrible over there.
2: My God, I think I preferred the pagan belief. In recent years, the Christmas tree has grown in popularity throughout Greece, but some Greeks prefer the old ways, opting instead for a sprig of basil suspended over a water-filled bowl. Mmm, simplicity. Once a day, someone in the home, usually the mother of the family, uses a sprig to sprinkle water throughout the house to ward off the creatures. The only reliable cure-all, however, is when village priests bless the waters on the eve of Epiphany, which marks the end of the 12 days of Christmas. They have been known to visit homes to sprinkle holy water fragranced with sweet basil to chase away the evil spirits for another year. On the eve of Epiphany in Cyprus, villagers scatter pancakes on the roofs to give the Calacanceroy something sweet to eat as they prepare to head out of town, perhaps to show there are no hard feelings. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, you had to get. Look at these guys' names.
1: Oh.
2: Ak- Akaterini, Polymura, Kalamaki, Kalamilak, Kalamma. This guy, Kalima, Kalima, shocked Director of the Hellenic Folklore Research Center in Athens says the Kalikantaroi remain popular throughout present day Greece, even in cities. But these days, they've been relegated to mere myths. No longer are they fearsome beasts that prowl at night. No longer are they believed to be real. Since the introduction of electricity to even the smallest village, there is no longer any reason for someone to fear going out at night. That dude says, there are lots of lights everywhere now. And not just the dark nights, but it is still kind of makes you want to sleep with the lights on. I hate you. Wow.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh, I can't believe
1: it. Wow. Mental note. Do not go to Greece for Christmas.
2: No, dude. I, there's been so many mental notes for me this week.
1: Have you ever heard of this legend before? I've I never heard did. of
2: goblins. I've heard of the goblins that come around and destroy things during Christmas, but not like this. See, I told my kids, my kids have goblins, Christmas goblins. That, that i gave them and they i'm a bit of a nut when it comes to goblin lore and i'm not going to say why because i don't want to offend any other people that listen to the show but i still think goblins are top notch <laughs>
0: What are they doing?
1: are watching Snow White. And they love it already looking over on Skype I see that Mick from ECPI is signed on to talk about Christmas traditions over in Ireland cool I think we should toss them on
2: oh yeah absolutely is that even a question
1: <laughs> all right here we go tonight we have returning back again with us mr. Mick Doyle from ECPI over in Dublin Ireland and he's going to talk to us about some of the stranger Irish Christmas yeah Christmas traditions you there Mick yeah hiya yeah, It's Not like bad. 6 o'clock in the morning where you're at right now.
3: It's 6 o'clock, yeah. Wednesday morning.
1: And you've been up for a while waiting for us to come on.
3: <laughs> you're a champ, it, man. You're a champ. It, just an hour or two. Oh God. Still, good lord.
1: Dude, if somebody yeah. called me up from Ireland and was like, hey, could you come on our podcast at 6 o'clock in the morning? I'd be like, um, well...
2: <laughs> I'm awake then.
1: <laughs> so, um, yeah, we got you on here to talk oh. about we're talking about different Christmas, stranger Christmas traditions from around the world, and you've got yeah. a few. So, go ahead, start off. What do you got yeah. for
3: us? Yeah, you were asking me earlier on about the whitewashing of the cottages over here. Yes. Yeah, well, that's um, that goes back to where. Uh, uh, a lot of years. Sir. So it goes back to my ancestors or our ancestors here. Um, it's to do with the advent, which are the four weeks that lead up to Christmas. So it began with a bucket of whitewash in hand. So this annual painting of the outhouses or cottages was one of the most popular of rural Irish Christmas traditions. It was carried out mainly by the men, while well, the women scrubbed the interior. So the, the men got the ha- the handy uh, end of it by just doing the whitewashing. So it dates back to uh, pre pre-Christian- uh, Christianity and it's generally regarded as the ancient version of spring cleaning, okay, which is carried out prior to the winter solstice when daylight hours um, shrink to just under seven and a half hours, which is what we're having here at the moment. So with the arrival of Christianity, the tradition was uh, rebranded as a homely. Uh, preparation for the arrival of Mary, Joseph, and the newborn baby Jesus. So to this day, the cottages are still whitewashed. You know, especially in Western Ireland, when families and friends come to visit. So, so it's basically that one.
1: You guys, you, but you guys, st- you guys are still getting snow and stuff over there. So basically, you you just paint your houses white to match the surrounding snow in the area.
3: <laughs> well, not in my area. I don't live in rural in rural Ireland. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah. All right. What else you got for us?
3: Um, well, you know, this, we have a lot of traditions over here. And, um, and a lot of the traditions that are carried out worldwide started in Ireland. Um, so Ireland, like most countries, has a number of traditions. Um, that are all of its own. Many of these customs have their roots in the time when the gaelic cultures and religion of the country were being suppressed. And it's perhaps because of that they have survived into the modern times. Like, um, do you light a candle in your window? Yeah, we've got Eve?
1: something like that. Yeah, we've got menorahs and things like that over here, yes.
3: Well, the placing of a, a lit candle in the window of a house on Christmas Eve is still practiced today. Um, it has a number of purposes, but primarily it was a symbol of welcome to Mary and Joseph as they looked for shelter. The candle also indicated a safe place for priests to perform mass. As during penal times, which was around the sixteen, eighties or sixteen nineties, um, on into, into the eighteenth or the eighteenth century, um, was uh, they outlawed. Um, the practice of mass, then. So, the people would light a candle in the window so the priest would know it was a safe place for them to perform mass. So, um, a fourth element of the tradition is that the candle should be lit by the youngest member of the household and only be extinguished by a girl bearing the name Mary. Hmm. So, basically, they go back to pre Christianity and back to our penal times when my country, well, it's still under occupation here for the last 900 years by the British (laughs) so um, (laughs) that's a long occupation yeah (laughs) so um, basically it's the same with the uh, you know the Christmas tree again goes back to pagan times and Mm. that was a custom that's with little variation except that the tree now draped in tinsel makes its appearance earlier and earlier each year as with the rest of the decorations, there, and they are now well up in many homes and offices at the beginning of December until January the 6th. But before the 20th century, it was only shops, churches, and the homes of the gentry or the wealthy that were decorated so lavishly. The ordinary folk, PR er, er, family, made do with holly and mistletoe. Hmm.
1: What's, uh, there was something else to do with uh, January 6th, which was uh, Little Women's Christmas.
3: Well, I it's called, It's called Old Christmas
1: yes old christmas and what's the deal with that that's just the day that women go out shopping and have a good time on their own or
3: no i think women go out shopping every day and have a good time <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think i don't think it has to make to make to, to do with january the 6th um basically no it's it. it's it, I, I think the folklore here are the are the superstition here it is that if it's taken down you know if your decorations go up say early december or Christmas week, and they stay up until the sixth of January, and they're taken down then. Uh, if they're taken down before the sixth of January, then bad luck uh, befalls the household.
1: Hmm. And what Again. about um? Well, go ahead.
3: No, go ahead. Yeah,
1: there's um. There was something I saw on the on the net too about leaving a piece of min- mince uh, mince meat pie and a bottle of Guinness. That doesn't sound alarmingly unusual for Ireland at all.
3: <laughs> well, that's that's down to what was called the laden table. Daisy um, was out there at evening meal on Christmas Eve. It's still practiced today. The kitchen table was set out was again set, and on it was placed a loaf of bread filled with caraway seeds and raisins, a pitcher of milk, and a large lit candle. The door to the house was left on latch so that Mary and Joseph, or a wandering traveler, could avail of the welcome. That's why these things were left out.
1: So now it's just mutated to the point where it's a piece of mince pie and a bottle of Guinness?
3: Um, Well, you could leave it what you like, really.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've got something like that over here where the kids leave out a, a plate of cookies and milk at night for Santa
3: yeah, um, they do that here for the
2: kids. Yeah, and carrots for the reindeers here. Yeah, carrots for, the-
1: <laughs> carrots for the reindeers. I, I would rather go with the bottle of Guinness myself, but you have a, a slash. It would be a
2: deadly
3: Christmas if I, did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a slash
1: would- Santa laying on someone's lawn in the morning on Christmas morning. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. Again, it's with with. Um, do you guys use send Christmas cards to people? Yes. Okay, that was th- that started in Ireland. Really. It did. It's, yeah. um, it started with the sending and the receiving of festive greetings in paper format. It's usually popular and started here in Ireland. It isn't one of the oldest of Irish traditions, but there is an element to it. It originated in the days of mass immigration from in the 1800s when we had our famine here. Mm-hmm. That's when you start getting all the Irish over to the States. <laughs> okay. The potato famine, right? So, yeah, uh, uh, just at the back end to receive a letter from a long-separated family member would have been the season's best present, and is now the reason why the sending and receiving of Christmas cards is so popular worldwide. It all started in Ireland alongside other Christmas traditions, which have carried uh, worldwide to this day. So, hence you have the sending of Christmas cards. That's nifty.
1: Yeah, I never knew it actually came from Ireland. I just assumed it was one of those traditions that always was.
3: Guys, everything started in Ireland. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I know in Japan, it's considered it's considered taboo or bad form to send somebody a red Christmas greeting card because death notices are sent out in red in Japan. So okay. all Christmas cards in Japan are always white Christmas oh. cards. They don't send if you send a red one, it's considered very poor taste because the person thinks they're getting a death, note, death notice.
3: Okay. So
1: there's a little bit of useless tradition for you.
3: <laughs> mm. <laughs> they also have. Um, do you have? What do you call your December the twenty sixth over there?
1: Uh, the day after Christmas.
3: <laughs> it's it's not a special day, no.
1: Not that I know of, no.
3: Okay, over here it's called Saint Stephen's Day. Saint Stephen. Saint Stephen's Day. Yeah, hmm. it basically goes back to penal times, um, which is again about sixteen eighty to sixteen ninety three. Uh, And it means that there was once a plot in the village against local soldiers. Uh, This is where this came about, this tradition. Uh, The soldiers were surrounded and were about to be ambushed when a group of wrens, which are birds, pecked on their drums and woke the soldiers up. The plot failed and the wren became known as the Devil's Bird. So, on December the 26th, St. Stephen's Day, a procession takes place where a pole where a holly bush is carried from house to house and families dress up in old clothes with blackened faces. In olden times, an actual wren will be killed and placed on top of the pole. What? Yep. So this custom has, has to a large degree died out, but tradition, but the, the tradition of visiting from house to house on St. Stephen's Day has survived and is very much part of our Christmas. Wow.
2: That's yep. cool. I'd never
1: heard of that one
3: before. My
2: yard is full of wrens. Maybe mm-hmm. I live in the devil's house then.
3: <laughs> well, I, I think you guys will be living in something like that. And anyway, you know, so <laughs> that's, basically, that's basically what we, what I have with before you know, at the moment goes with the, you know, a lot of the traditions that you would practice yourselves all started here over in Ireland. That's awesome. Man. Thank it's you so sweet. much.
1: Well, thanks for coming on, Mick. Do you want to plug your website and uh, plug what you do again before we let you go?
3: And um, the website is ecpi.webs.com, but that's um, uh, the new website will be up and running in the new year. And mm-hmm. um, again, you'll find us on um, East Coast Paranormal. Mick Doyle, East Coast Paranormal Investigations. We're based in Dublin, and um, we're. Starting some new investigations in the from January.
1: And just for people to remind everybody, these guys these guys investigate like eight hundred year old castles. They're not going into the local pubs and local houses or like you see on Ghost uh, Hunters.
3: We do that as well. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> um, most a lot of what we do is um, private investigations, but we we recently did um, did a force investigation of a castle up in Northern Ireland called Shane's Castle, and. Um, they were we were in subterranean tunnels and uh, we've got some good evidence which is on the page our page there so people are welcome to look at the photographs just ask to join the page and we'll accept them on
1: well thanks cool. a lot mick thanks for you're welcome on, take thanks care i'm sure much. we'll be talking to you again fairly soon
3: whenever you like <laughs> thanks a lot merry man. christmas you too have a good one have take a great care. have a great holiday bye guys bye-bye. thank bye-bye. you bye-bye thank you
1: So we're going to go over a couple of other really strange Christmas customs from around the world. Um, Apparently over in Norway, they hide their brooms on Christmas Eve. An old Norwegian tradition revolves around witches and evil spirits. Supposedly, they would steal brooms on the holiday so they could ride around the night sky. Though the belief has faded over time, that doesn't stop the Norwegians from hiding their brooms and mops before they hit the hay. Apparently on Christmas, uh, witches would grab brooms from people's homes and try to fly around the sky and knock Santa out of the sky, apparently. <laughs> that was one of them. Uh, in the Czech Republic, if you're an unmarried woman living in the Czech Republic, you'll want to keep reading. On Christmas Eve, these women try to predict their relationship status for the next year. They do All they do is stand with their backs to the door, then t- toss one of their shoes over their shoulders. If the shoe lands on the toes facing the door, that means they'll get married the next year. But the, if the heel faces the door... Well, you get the point. Um, I read about this. There was a post somewhere else on the internet where I was reading where people on Christmas Eve they get random bangs on their door, and they're not surprised when they open the door and there's usually like a woman just sitting there with their back to the door throwing shoes at the door. Um, there was even a reporter like that. I was reading in one of the blogs somewhere where a guy opened up the door and got smacked in the face by a shoe. It's not uncommon. Apparently, over in Japan, it's also a big thing on Christmas to uh, eat Kentucky Fried Chicken. Mm. It's like the Uber holiday meal there. <laughs>
2: I'm not seeing it, but that's uh,
1: fine. I believe in Venezuela on Christmas Eve, they all roller skate to church for Christmas mass and the streets close down. So people on roller skates can actually roller skate right into church. <laughs> it's pretty nutty. So, Sonic. Yeah. <laughs> Your savior has arrived. <laughs> that's awesome. So anyways, where are you taking us? What do you got now?
2: We're going to go and read about, um, some animal rescue. And, um, this goes out to our, um, Friends who love animals, because these little animals are so stinking cute. Well, when they're little, they are. Uh, <laughs> this is from uh, VN. This is uh, Ha-Tin Police Rescue 106 Pangolins. I said pangolins, not penguins. The Environmental Crime Investigation Police in the central province of Ha-Tin Sunday rescued 106 pangolins, an endangered scaly animal, from illegal traffickers or traitors. Colonel Dang Quang Niem. Deputy head of the province PC 36 Police Department said on December 11th, he sent a special task force to National Highway 8A to examine a Camry car numbered BKS 30M 1207, which was suspected of transporting a large number of wild animals following a tip off. When the car entered Duck Long Commune in Duck Tho District, the police ordered it to stop for checking, but the driver ignored the police and sped on. The driver later crashed into the police's car and was finally captured. The police found 106 living pangolins, which weighed nearly 400 kilograms and are worth over VND1 billion, which is $50,000 American, inside the car. The car was also carrying some weapons and fake license plates. Driver Nguyen Van Nyang and his assistant, Don Mont Viet, failed to prove the origin of their goods and were arrested. The police are still investigating where the pangolins came from. That's a pretty big heist.
1: <laughs> we need to call this show the Weird Asian News Network show at this point.
2: Yeah, we get a lot of our stuff out of Asia.
1: So, so what are these things? They're not penguins, but what are they? What Pangolins. They're a um they they they're a member of the
2: anteater family, and they are found in. Africa as well as some parts of Asia, but mostly in Africa. What they are is if if you ever see like um, certain times you'll open up a kid's book and you'll see an armadillo and he's all balled up mm-hmm. and then you'll see this other animal that's all balled up and it looks like it has like big fish scales all over it. Mm-hmm. That's a pangolin.
1: So they're not birds. They're more. No, good.
2: no, it's they're, they're mammalia. They're not from the uh, avian group at all. They're. So-
1: what are they're people mammals. doing with these? Are they trying to take them to keep them for pets or something? Or? Yeah,
2: there's big money in them. Yeah, Where, they're exotic pets.
1: What do you feed them? What do you uh, what,
2: ants? I mean, is, ants and bugs.
1: What you can't exactly go play fetch with it, you know? Like, <laughs> no, well, you can't, <laughs> can't play
2: fetch with a bowl constrictor either. But I mean, <laughs> I, mean well, I guess you could depends. if you want
1: to yeah. whip it. Yeah. <laughs> that depends. Mm. I was just reading on here there's another another tradition uh, in Portugal this tradition is very spiritual this tradition it's very spiritual but it probably creeps people creeps a few people out on Christmas morning most portuguese have a traditional meal called a consoda. The whole family attends, and we're not just talking about those who are still with us. The oh. dead are also invited, and there are extra places set at the table for them to eat. Uh, basically, they set, they put a plate down, they leave a chair there for dead Uncle Brad or whatever. You're
2: gonna tell me they brought them with them?
1: No, no, no. But they set a plate up there, and they offer, they put, they put food and stuff on the on the plate, and they, you know, they go about as though the relative are actually there. You know, and they continue having, which you know, I don't, I don't think that's really all that creepy. That doesn't. No, you know, not really. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's just keeping memorial of those who have passed on in the family. Sure, yeah, it's kind of sweet, actually. Yeah, I don't think it's that big of a deal. No. Uh, in Slovakia, many Christmas Eve dinners are relatively calm when you compare them to the meals of the Slovakia. At the beginning of the dinner, the head of the table throws laksa, bread, water, and poppy seeds onto the ceiling in hopes that it will stick. The more it sticks, the better the crop he or she will have in the following year. In <laughs> Slovakia, you throw bread, bread throws you. <laughs> it doesn't come out right at all. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> all right. We've already covered gay penguins in the show. We've now covered uh, pangolas. So i going to cover the uh, next one here, which is Dear Ram Love Story Has China Zoo A Flutter? And this is coming to us from. Some independent news agency, news.nin.msn. n i n msn Oh, I think this is from Australia. It's from an Australian news network. Hmm. So, uh, staff at Wildlife Park in Southeast China have turned. Southwest. Southwest. Oh, my God. Dude, it's 2.37 in the morning. Uh, <laughs> I'll start it over
2: for you. No, read it. Whatever. It's fine.
1: Staff at at a wildlife park in southwest China have turned the country's half a billion web users for advice after a male sheep and a female deer began mating and soon became inseparable. A posting in the park's microblog posed the question, what do you do when a ram falls in love with a deer? It asked the readers whether they agreed it would be unethical to let the unusual pairing continue. They do not want to be separated, but is it, uneth- uh, is it unethical to let them go on? Said the posting addressed to the users of China, huge China's hugely popular Weibo. 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 Weibo's Weebo. wobble, but they don't fall. <laughs> wow. A Twitter-style site that has taken the country by storm. The romantic liaison hit the headlines this week after a local television station in the southwestern province of Yunnan picked up a. St- picked up on the story, reporting that attempts to separate the pair had been unsuccessful. The ram, whose Chinese name is Chang Cheng, Cheng Mao, means... Cheng long. Mao. Cheng Mao. <laughs> Here we go again, Asian News Network. The ram, whose Chinese name is changmao Mao, means long hair, had completely integrated himself into the deer society after being placed in a pen with the animals, the Global Times reported. The sheep and the deer have been in love with each other since last year, Lily, Li, a park keeper, told the China Daily... Which said the pair would now be allowed to stay together. Oh Uh, isn't
2: that nice? Now let me ask you a question. You can't you can't read Southwest. You can't you you have no problem with unethical. You have a hard time tripping over words, but you can say liaison like it's boom, like nothing.
1: Because (laughs) it's a word nine
2: hundred letters
1: in that thing. Yeah, but it's a word you encounter all the time. Indeed. You know, I mean I I use liaison probably seventy five times a day.
2: Really, you often no. have liaisons.
1: No, where, where I'm are you, what are you having a
2: liaison with a roast beef sandwich
1: <laughs> and a ram and a deer? So, uh, yeah, I think it's time you need to hit the toilet.
2: I'm going to hit the toilet. I'm going to hit it hard. <laughs> okay, this is this is from the same place that we read the uh, pangolin report from. It's uh and students claim toilet haunted, fainted, faint in mass, which you know, sounds to me again like. Um, Mass hysteria, but we're oh, yeah. going to read it anyway. Many students in Fuyen province have fainted after claiming that a toilet inside their dorm is haunted and they have seen ghosts. Fan Yan headmaster of the Sun Ho Ethic Boarding High School in San Ho District, confirmed that a large number of boarding students have fainted or screamed at nights from unknown causes during the past month. The time they acted strange was usually from 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. every night, Tho said. The first victim of the awful situation is K. Pa Ho Lon, a son of Din Commune. One night in early November, after coming back to. Why do you give me these to read? (laughs) Oh, no. One night in early November, after coming back to his dorm room from the toilet area, Lon fell down on the floor, talked nonsense, scratched against the floor and walls with his two hands, and then passed out. After being hospitalized at the San Juan General Hospital, Luan recovered and told everyone that he had met a ghost in the restroom. Many other students later suffered the same condition as Luan, and there happened a case in which 12 students collapsed unconscious at the same time. Such a situation has caused an atmosphere of fear among students, and many dare not stay in the dormitory but hired houses or rooms outside the school. Many students have been so haunted by the ghosts that they dare not sleep alone or go to the restrooms after dark.
1: What is this, Moaning Myrtle?
2: I have, yeah, exactly. Moaning Myrtle. (laughs) All of the fainted students. Wait a minute. Last show, we talked about Cedric Diggory in tonight's Moaning Myrtle. (laughs) All of the fainted students were taken to the hospital for emergency treatment, though, said. Though, Could not explain what had really happened to his students, but he rejected the rumors that the school's toilets area are haunted. The school's management has held meetings with parents and students to call on them to stay calm, pending an investigation by relevant agencies. (laughs) According to doctors at the hospital, some students might have passed out because of hypocalcemia, low calcium levels in the blood.
1: Okay. Who... Who is the relevant agency that you call to find out if your bathroom is haunted? Ghost Hunters International. <laughs> so hype! Uh, the, the low calcium is it makes you believe that your bathroom is haunted.
2: <laughs> I don't know. sure. Yes. <laughs> it could cause hallucinations. That's something.
1: <laughs> we're we're really reaching here, man.
2: Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah, they're, they're going to call in relevant agencies. Who's yeah.
1: reaching? Yeah, exactly. Hi
0: there, folks. I'm Pastor Recoil, and I'm here to share with you a message about the double
1: bacon rainbow.
0: Because I like double bacon rainbows, really all you need to know. And do you know who else likes bacon? Seder. I would marry bacon before I'd marry a gay. Over at the bunkernet Can I just marry a pig? Just, it's pork belly. Check out transmissions from the bunker at the bunkernet I'm ignoring the new promo because I don't want to make one. The fair stuff with the livestock really is kind of interesting. Every time I think of like competitions like that, I imagine a weird hybrid between like Miss America, only like sheeps and bikinis.
1: All right, Lobo. Um, here's what I'm going to spring on um, you. You're pretty familiar with farm things, how on farm, how stuff on farm works and all that stuff, right? You know, Still livestock stuff, know, know things on it. farms work.
2: I grew, up in, I grew up in what's known as a cow town. So,
1: Okay. If you had to castrate a lamb, what method would you use?
2: Uh, there's actually a couple of different methods that can be used. You can either use a rubber band and let it fall off naturally, or you can actually bite them off.
1: Yep, that's where we're going. The CDC nice. just released a report. CDC, castrating lambs with your teeth may make you sick. And this is coming from the uh, Wall Street Journal, actually. It's coming from the... Uh, Oh, God, the address is, like, super-duper long. We'll have it in the show notes, blog.wsj.com forward slash health forward slash 2011, bunch of other slashes, numbers, blah, 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 blah. But anyways, we're moving on. Um, Yes. Let's see here. At first, we thought this week's issue of the CDC's morbidity and mortality report was utterly run-of-the-mill. We skimmed a report on leisure time activity among adults with and without arthritis, an update on the flu activity before we stopped dead in our tracks by something we'd never seen before, a case report on Campylobacter gijunai gi- jun- gi- jun- G- jun- <laughs> G- jun- infections contracted by people working in a sheep ranch, apparently because they use their teeth to castrate some lambs. How did you even come up, wait a minute, because I didn't tell you before we recorded this piece that I was going to talk about people castrating lambs with their teeth. So what, how did that pop into your head? I'm just going to stop right in the middle of this story to hear this story.
2: I've actually watched it done. Oh, uh, God. There was a program that it was done on, and it was Mike Rowe.
1: Oh, man. He did
2: it on dirty jobs.
1: He did it with his teeth? Yep. Moving back to the story. <laughs> oh. Oh. And Lamb so, fries. Exactly. Contracted by two people working at a sheep ranch, apparently because they use their teeth to castrate some lambs. Uh, C. Junji is trans- frequently transmitted by fecal oral contact or consuming contaminated food or water. And infections are commonly associated with eating poultry or unpasteurized dairy products, the report notes. But these two workers didn't report consuming those food items, nor did they share food or water. The common bond of the 12 people who worked to castrate and and dock tails of 1,600 lambs at the Wyoming Sheep Ranch in June, they were only two who reported using their teeth as castration aids. And during the event, a few lambs reportedly had a mi- had mild diarrhea illness, the report says. That's another reason right there that I would not do it. It's bad enough that I would be cutting off a sheep's nads with my teeth and then add to the fact they had diarrhea. <laughs> uh, see, Jijunji is later isolated in, with, into lambs. The men, too, came down with diarrhea, and one also suffered from abdominal cramps, fever, nausea, and vomiting. One one was hospitalized for a day, but fully recovered. Lab testing suggests that the infections of C. Jujungi,
2: Jujungi,
1: Jumanji, was was from a common source. The ranch owners and employees... The MMWR notes were advised to use standard methods of castrating the lambs, not including the teeth. Carrie Pride, an author of the report and veterinarian, tells us via email that this method has and does occur. It is more common in the 1800s, but still goes on, Pride says, speaking for herself and not the CDC. You know, nasty. This, before you even came on me and me and Mick actually had a conversation about this um, very thing kind of about what you know about castrating lambs. We, you know what that'll make it into the that'll make it into the outtakes episode. Where, where are you taking us now? <laughs> we're,
2: <laughs> we're actually going to go to odditycentral.com and it's uh, Japan's creepy hotel for the dead. Uh, a t- hotel for the dead. Now that's something. This one is for real, actual corpses. And it's pretty luxurious, going from the pictures. <laughs> it's a place where your folks check in, Check y- f- folks check you in, and you wait it out until it's time for you to be cremated. Also, it's pretty luxurious. <laughs> that's twice in one sentence. <laughs> <laughs> the Hotel Lestal, run by hisa yoshi Teramura in japan's yokohama suburbs looks like any other building from the outside in fact young couples mistake it for a regular hotel and come asking for accommodation but the place is not meant for lovers or for wealthy travelers only for those who have already made their final exit from this world the need for such a hotel very much exist in Japan, where there is a wait time for at least four days for a crematorium. Wow, four days. With a total of 1.2 million deaths in the country in 2010, the annual death rate is at 0.95%, while the global average is only 0.84%. Wow, they're doing something wrong in Japan. The Japanese also apparently tend to splurge on funerals on the cost of flowers, coffins, and memorial services. Mr. Teramura seems to have found a business opportunity in the area of death. The corpses stored in the hotel are placed in refrigerated coffins that cost about 12,000 yen, approximately $157. That's actually not that bad.
1: No, no. They
2: lay there until an opening is available at one of the overworked crematoriums in the city. Apparently, entry into the business is not all that difficult with the absence of mandatory qualifications or licenses. <laughs> An office and a telephone will suffice to get started. Mr. Teramura has planned to expand. His second branch will be a bigger space, able to hold up to 40 corpses. His neighbors, however, have not even the slightest inkling they that they sleep every night next to a group of dead bodies.
1: Well, you wouldn't have to worry about bed bugs. Um... No,
2: Norman. <laughs> what? <laughs> Sleeping with dead bodies?
1: Oh, you're talking about psycho. It took me a second to get that. Mm. Man, you go into some weird directions sometimes.
2: Dude, my life is a weird direction.